And so this morning we'll be looking at uh, chapter 3 we're starting finally, chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning there, it's printed for you uh, in the ESV and Toto in your bulletin. The, the book of Philippians is about, it's, it's about, about hope. It's about joy. We've been seeing how Paul has been talking to this group, this church going through struggles and trials. He's been trying to help ignite their joy and ignite their hope. And we've been talking about that ourselves specifically about where our hope is, where's our joy. And so I want to ask you before we get to the text is, are you happy? It's a simple question, I know, but are you? Do you have joy? Last week we were dealing with emotions, with relationships and how the gospel speaks into those things and the question for us now is we're seeking joy and seeking hope and it's a it's a radical question actually it's one of those questions that we really don't like to ask because it's a little too real it's this do you enjoy god is that how you would describe it yes i enjoy god fundamentally when you get right down to it do you enjoy having god and the things of god in your life do you rejoice at what is going on in your life, what God is doing? See, the gospel for the real life, not the Sunday school gospel, oh, we love Sunday school, but the real grown-up gospel for real life, from Monday through Friday, means we should have joy. Especially as the gospel gives us this great power to love and serve others, it's usually through our joy that we get to do that. And that all sounds really good, doesn't it? And Paul has outlined that for the Philippians But it doesn't just happen in the church. It happens by the power of the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the gospel is lost, the power of the church is lost. The power for joy is lost. It's not abandoned, but the gospel is lost sometimes in churches through subtle error, through habits we get into through cultural pressure from the outside, perhaps, that we barely even recognize as it's happening. All of which can leave us in a situation where we know the facts of the gospel. We know the trivia. We can answer the questions. We can recite the catechism. But we're not living in the reality of the gospel. And thus we have no joy. But God wants us to have joy. He wants us to shine as lights we saw earlier in chapter 2. He wants us to thrive in the gospel. And so today's passage is about just that, focusing on Christ, not letting false teachers steal our joy so we can thrive in the gospel. So let's look together, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, this is God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake 
of Christ. <coughs> this is God's word. So I want to give you something to hang your hats on today, something to help you remember this. Kids, you might want to write this down if you have a pen for your uh, children's bulletin. As you're over lunch today, as you're thinking, what was the sermon about? Here's what I want you to remember. It's this. We thrive in the gospel when we look past ourselves to brag on God. We thrive in the gospel when we look past ourselves to brag on Christ, to be specific. You see, the, the gospel makes us joyfully aware that we can bring nothing to God except for Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. So start out with me. Let's look at rejoicing in the Lord. What is Paul talking about here when he says rejoice in the Lord? He begins with this chapter with the word finally. It's not actually him wrapping up. He's only halfway through. It's more the idea of moreover or, or to go on. He's going to dig into a point now. And the point is this. <clears throat> we are commanded to rejoice. We are commanded to be glad in the Lord. Not to be solemn, not to be serious, but we are commanded to be joyful. You believe that? And if you do believe that, pardon the old joke, but have you told your face that you believe that? Because so many of us think it's our Christian duty, don't we, to be solemn, to be somber, to be naysayers. But Paul writes this command in the midst of turmoil. Paul writes this in the midst of having to send their pastor back to them in the midst of persecution because they're having problems. Paul's in prison, probably on death row. And he says, rejoice. God is with me in all of that junk and God is with you in all of that junk. And we're good Presbyterians. <clears throat> we have maybe, hopefully many of us know, catechism. Number one, what is the chief end of man? Right? Man's chief end is to glorify and, I know it, to enjoy God forever. It's part of our catechism. We're supposed to enjoy God. You know, sometimes you have to choose to be joyful. Sometimes you have to just say, Everything around me is pushing me. I'm going to be joyful. And that's difficult for us because we're in this culture that claims authenticity as the highest good. And authenticity usually means, right, acting in accord with your inner emotions. But being a biblically faithful Christian actually very often, in fact, means acting contrary to our inner emotions. The little phrase, I just don't feel like doing that, is not a biblical phrase. Sometimes you have to just act and let the feelings come after. That's what Paul's talking about here. Sometimes you just have to say, I choose to be joyful, and I will be joyful, and I'm going to go as if I am joyful. And you'll find that the joy catches up to you. But that's hard for us, because our culture is like, no, no, man, if you don't feel joyful, you, you just hang back and be solemn. Don't worry about it. But God's Word says, no, be joyful. It's a command. Act into your feelings. Don't feel into action. We are commanded to have joy in the Lord. So I want to ask you this, dear flock. Where do you find your joy? We are hardwired for joy, and so we're going to seek joy out. That's why these warnings of verse 2 come. Because Christians not finding their joy in Christ are ripe for false teaching. Keeping in context here, how, let's figure out what, what, what do we get joyful from? How do we find joy? If you remember a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> Paul said... Don't complain. 
So let's put these together. You want to know where your joy comes from? What do you complain about? Maybe not out loud, but inside your mind, in your heart, what do you complain about? It's usually something that made you happy, something that made you joyful, has been changed or altered somehow, or it's different, and somehow, some way, it's not giving you the happy it used to give you. And so we let someone know, usually, that this is not working like it used to work for me. See, instead of complaining, we should look at that and say, oh, I'm trying to get joy from that instead of from Christ. And we repent of that, and we choose to be joyful in Christ. We find our joy in the Lord himself. That's what the command means. We recognize, oh, it's not this source, it's this source. That's kind of technical, maybe a little heady. I want to make sure we get that. So boys and girls, look with me at your verse 1. Here's what Paul's trying to tell his family. He says this, kids verse 1. So my dear Christian family, find your joy in the Lord. I'm going to keep telling you all that because God's joy will keep you safe. You see, boys and girls, when we go after the wrong thing, we're not safe. And Paul knows that. So he says, no, no, don't go after this for joy. Go after Christ. And I'm going to keep telling you that until you get it. So why do we need to be kept safe? Because the gospel's key to our joy. We only rejoice in the Lord because of his grace. If we have to do something to please God, if we have to do something to get on God's team, there's a foundational insecurity there. There's a foundational fear there. If we've got to do something, we're always, well, did I do it right? Was it good enough? Am I really on the team? Is he going to accept me? See, if you don't enjoy God, if you don't really know God as a person, I'm talking to Christians, by the way. It's because you're not living in the reality of the gospel. You're not looking to Christ alone because that brings joy. You are looking to something you contribute, which robs you of your joy because you've always got to maintain whatever it is you contribute to make sure it's good enough. So how do we have joy in the Lord? What do we do? How do we have this joy that Paul's commanded us to have, says we should have? How do we have it? You ready? I'm going to give you the secret to the Christian life right now. You ready? Here it is. We have joy in the Lord. You ready? Ready? When we abide in Christ. Pastor Sean, I don't know what that means. I know. It means we rest in Christ, like the song we just sang. We trust in Christ's work, not our activity, that's resting in Christ. That's abiding in Christ. And in that trust, we obey Him. And that builds up our joy. Here's, here's what I mean by that. It's a long day. You're tired, you come home, and there's the big poofy chair. It has the lever on the side, and magical things pop up and let you lay back. And what do you do? Do you get your wrench and do you go around and make sure the chair's tight? And do you make sure it's, everything's ready, okay? And then, you, okay, with all my mental energy, I've got to make sure this chair stays together. And you sit down in it. Oh, okay. Is that how you deal with the chair? Is that how you do it? Or do you just go and do you just plop your big old bahookie in that thing and just rest? Right? Yeah. Pa- Mommy, did Pastor Sean say bahookie? Yes, he did, dear. 
That's resting in Christ. And I want you to have that picture of just flopping down. No energy on your part whatsoever, just being upheld. That is Christ. Mommy, is Pastor Sean saying Jesus is a lazy boy? Yes, he is. That's a great picture of resting in Christ. Oh, he's a lazy boy. I don't have to do anything. Because that gives you joy. Right? That's what Paul is talking about. Having joy in Christ. When we look past ourselves, when we look past these vehicles that we try, instead we use God's vehicles for grace. We rest in Christ when we obey Him and trust Him. Specifically, how do we rest in Christ? Okay, that's a good mental picture. How really do we rest in Christ? We use the means of grace He has given us. The instruments that God uses to give us grace. There are things that God has given us. He says, this is how I choose to pour grace in your life. I choose to use this. I've told you I'm going to use this, so you should use it too. What are they? Those things God has ordained to help us. What are they? The Bible, prayer, the sacraments, public worship, fellowship together. Not exactly the most exciting things, right? We want something better, more sizzle, I know. But those are the effective things. So if you're following me, I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Sean, are you kidding me? I got stress, man. I got financial stress. I got kids stress. I got job stress. And you're telling me just to read my Bible, pray, and go to church? Seriously? I thought you had answers. It's not exciting, I know. But that is exactly how God has chosen to give you grace. Have you tried it and found it lacking, or have you found it tedious and so you quit trying it? That's really the question, isn't it? Dear Christian, if you are stressed out, if you lack joy, be candid with yourself. Have you actually used God's means of grace, or are you trying your own things? There's so much hope for you here in this passage, if you'll just believe it. God has opened up the floodgates of joy through Jesus Christ. God has chosen to channel that joy through his means, through the Bible, through prayer, through the sacraments, through the fellowship of the body together, through public worship. Do you want to thrive in the Lord? Then diligently, hungrily, for God's grace, use these vehicles of God's grace. Because we thrive in the gospel when we look past ourselves. To his means. When we say, I'm going to quit looking to myself, I'm going to brag on what God has done, and then I'll have joy. Which is exactly where Paul goes next. He says, look out for bragging. Living in the gospel, bragging on Christ rather than ourselves is the key to thriving, to having joy in the Lord. That's why we Christians have to be reminded of the gospel, because we leak. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they don't want us to have joy. They seek for us to abandon the gospel so we will abandon joy. In Paul's day, it was a group of people called the Judaizers. These were Jews who confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord. They confessed Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They believed God's word. They repented of their sins. And they thought that they had submitted to the gospel. However, they did not see Jesus as the Savior of the nations. They saw Jesus as the Jewish Messiah only. And so they said, you Gentiles, we'll put up with you, but you've got to become Jews before you can become a Christian. 
You can't go straight to Christianity without first going through Judaism, which meant circumcision, law, Moses, all that stuff. So they started going around to all these Gentile churches that Paul and Peter were planting. And they started telling people, look, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you are not a Christian. You're not united to Christ. If you die right now, you are not going to heaven because you are not circumcised. And many, many Gentiles believed them. In fact, the Judaizers are the background to much of the New Testament. The entire book of Galatians is written to combat these people, these false teachers. And here, they haven't come to Philippians yet. Paul is anticipating their arrival. So he's telling them to look out for it. He's telling them, you need to be ready for these people. And so Paul, understanding that shepherds carry rods to protect the flock from predators, says with no innuendo... With no nuance, he says, the Judaizers are evil dogs. They're mutilators. To add circumcision to the work of Christ did not make it better. It destroyed it. It destroyed their joy. And so he calls them evil because they're to be opposed. Because they oppose the gospel. They oppose the righteousness that comes by faith. They say, no, it's righteousness that comes by what we do. Look with me at his blatantly harsh language in verse 2. This is, this is incredible. We, we would never get away with saying this today. Look with me at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He makes fun of them. He calls them evil. He insults their religion. He basically says, if you circumcise yourself to be right with God, you mutilate your body for no reason. Does that bother you a little bit? That Paul would be so harsh to mock, to deride, to make fun, to call evil? I mean, shouldn't Paul be nicer? You see, if we have some squeamishness about Paul's language here, it's actually the result of our culture and our culture attacking the gospel. Because see, Paul comes from a culture that's about truth. You and I live in a culture that's about sentimentality. Paul has no problem getting nasty to defend the truth. to to defend his flock from harm. Our culture, on the other hand, has tolerance and acceptance for everything except those who would stand on truth over error. Even when it's obvious that those who are doing so seek to destroy truth, we have no tolerance for that. We, We, oh, don't be so harsh. I don't care if you're right. Don't be so harsh. Paul has no qualms doing this. He mocks. He denigrates. He makes fun of them. Because they seek to destroy the gospel. And if you were here last week, notice this beautiful connection here. Just last week we saw how the gospel overcame the natural racism that would be between Epaphras the Gentile, Timothy the half Gentile, half Jew, and Paul the full Jew. They would hate each other and the gospel overcame that. So here's that wonderful, yeah we love that sentiment. And then here is Paul defending the truth staunchly. It gives us a beautiful biblical picture of what unity means. Unity is not a sentiment. Unity is based in truth, and that truth confronts error to keep the peace. It's a beautiful thing. Look with me, uh, boys and girls, at your verse 2. Here's what Paul's trying to say. He says, look out for bad teachers. They are evil monsters who want to rip your joy and faith to shreds. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it, boys and girls? But that's what these false teachers are doing. They're monsters. Paul says, watch out, they destroy Okay, now, I'm sure several of you this week were thinking, you know, I just don't feel right with God, and so to get right with God, I think I need to circumcise myself. I'm sure you were thinking that. 
But just in case you weren't, how do we, how do we deal with this today, right? It's the perennial question of Christianity. What must I do to be saved? What do I have to do before God will accept me? It, it, be circumcised? Be baptized? Clean up my life? Be heterosexual? Be conservative? Be moral? You see, we can kind of have some preconceived notions too, and we can kind of in our minds say, oh, you must be in order to be saved. See, we can be dogs. We can be evil. We can be mutilators too. Especially in the South, and I'm, I'm from the South, so I get, to, I get to critique it. Do we assume someone is a Christian because they vote Republican? Because they display the Ten Commandments somewhere? Because they're patriotic, because they work hard, because they poke fun at liberals, because we heard them use the word homo, they must be a Christian. Is, is, is that how we work? Do we wonder if someone really is a Christian because they drink beer, they have tattoos, they have piercings in places besides their ears, they have more than one hole in each ear, they read Harry Potter, they voted for Obama, they don't dress up for church. I mean, I could go on, couldn't I? We, we do this, don't we? Look at your heart. What do we add to Christ and then judge others for not having and wonder if they're in the kingdom? See, we can be evil. We can be dogs. We can be mutilators. We can be enemies of the gospel too because we don't try to find our joy in Christ. We find our joy in some sort of morality or practice or habit. And if someone else doesn't have that same morality or practice or habit, we judge them because they have a different source than we do. It makes us scared. Paul says, get rid of that and rejoice in the Lord, not in this stuff. So to confront this in his church, Paul lays down the truth. Look with me at verse 3. Paul says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, look, the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He's, he's come to fulfill. He's come to make new. The church of Jesus Christ is the Israel of God. We are the true circumcision. What they want you to do is worthless. That's why we glory in Christ. Literally, he actually says, that's why we brag on Christ. Christians who really get the gospel brag on Jesus. Because they have no confidence in what they can do. It's all about Christ. Now, oh, boys and girls, that's so important. I want you to get this. Look with me at your verse 3, boys and girls. Here's what Paul says. says. They want you to think that you can't get to heaven unless you are very churchy, but they are wrong. We are God's family because we worship God through the Holy Spirit, and we brag about Christ, not ourselves. See, boys and girls, it's not about being churchy. That's not how you get to heaven. You get to heaven knowing Jesus Christ and bragging on him. You see, either we brag about Jesus or we brag about ourselves. Think about it. When you doubt, when you're stressed, when you worry about your salvation or your life or, or whatever it is you worry about, you wonder if God really loves you. Do you think on the things you've done for God? I taught Sunday school. I attended church faithfully. I gave money. I went on a short-term mission trip, did VBS. Or in your mind to confront your doubts, do you brag on Christ? If you get the gospel, 
if you're rejoicing in the Lord, when those doubts come, you brag on Christ. You see, our hearts are fickle. We want to add to the work of Christ, don't we? But the gospel, the good news in which we thrive, says brag on Christ, not yourself. Look at him alone. So Paul has told us that the enemy can be out there. Paul has told us that the enemy can be ourselves judging others, but also the enemy of the gospel seeking to destroy the gospel can be fellow Christians. Dear brothers and sisters, you and I can be the evil dogs who hurt other believers. We can be tricked by other Christians as well. We can be hurt by other believers. And they don't seem to be evil, yet their teaching is evil. Some of you are about to get really mad at me. I just want to let you know that up front. I would remind you of the truth versus sentimentality discussion we just had. I would also encourage you to look into your heart and ask, is it anger at me or is it conviction over what you've done that you're feeling? How's that for a setup, right? (laughs) All right, here we go. So we're commanded to have joy. And one of the ways we get joy, we have already said, is by reading God's Word, by believing in the Bible, by trusting the Bible, and by just reading it. And in our age, the Bible is under increasing attack. But it's not like you think. The Bible itself makes certain claims about itself. I want to remind you of a 2 Timothy 3.16. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen for you. 2 Timothy 3.16, foundational scripture says what? All scripture is breathed out. That's the word inspired, by the way. Is breathed out by God and profitable or useful or enough for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, God's Word claims that it is enough to teach us what we need to know about God and His gospel. Yet, it's not the liberals outside the church who are attacking Scripture. It's the false teachers inside the church that we have to be worried about. I just want to give you two quick examples. One, Sarah Young has cleverly deceived thousands, and she's from our denomination While claiming to be based in God's word, she actually says in her introduction, which most of her fans haven't read, she says, and I quote, God's word is not enough. And so since she proclaims God's word is not enough, she proceeds to give you Sarah's word. God's word is not profitable. It is not good for teaching. It is not good for reproof. It is not good for training. So here are Sarah's words. I change them around so they sound like they're coming from Jesus, but they're Sarah's words. And I'm going to say they're not really Scripture, but I treat them like Scripture. And most people put down their Bible and read this for their devotions instead of Scripture. But it's not Scripture. It, it's, it's, I don't know how it works. And so many Christians eat it up. And their confidence in God's Word being enough is eroded and destroyed by an evil dog mutilating your faith. How about Todd Burpo and his son? They even got a movie deal out of their attack on Scripture. Oh, but Pastor Sean, it's so good. It shows how real heaven is. It helped me so much. Underneath that enthusiasm is the real sentiment. Because God's word wasn't enough. I couldn't trust what Jesus said about heaven. I couldn't trust what Paul tells me about heaven and his vision. I couldn't trust what John says about heaven. It wasn't enough. I had to have Todd Burpo's son tell me. Which is interesting because Jesus Christ himself says, I've got another scripture for you. John 3, 13. You have that? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Either Jesus Christ is a liar for saying that, 
or Todd Brokaw and his son are for saying that. They can't both be right. Paul would say one of them is an evil, mutilating dog of whom you should be aware and careful. See, dear flock, God has spoken. And it's enough. And it's the source of our joy. And there's so many things. Satan comes around like an angel of light. He seeks to deceive. He's a liar. And so he doesn't just come right out with an outright attack. We're too smart for that. He does the subtle attack, usually from a friend. All to get us to look at something besides the way God has said you get joy. God has revealed himself in the Bible. The Bible is an instrument of God's grace. Jesus' calling is not an instrument of God's grace. Heaven is for real is not an instrument of God's grace. The Bible is. If you want joy, put those down and take up God's word. It is enough. Because we thrive in the gospel when we brag on the Christ of Scripture. Because that's the only real Christ. And so finally, Paul says, having looked at that Christ of Scripture, he talks about losing everything for Christ. He says, these false teachers in the church, they come to rob us of our joy by getting us to go to to alter the gospel just a little bit, to have a very slight and yet profound misunderstanding so we actually lose the gospel. In Paul's day, they came saying, you must be circumcised. You must convert to Judaism first. Paul has argued that theologically so far. But now he's going to argue practically to make his case. And here's what he's doing. My family, I'm pretty sure that if you would go to Amazon's corporate headquarters, there has to be a room dedicated to us. So much, I I promise you we support something. There has to be some sort of Sawyer's Memorial something because we spend so much on Amazon. It's insane. Because, you know, we got five kids. We're not going to pack everybody in the truck and go. We're going to let them come to us, right? We want to keep Mark Summers employed. So bring it on. Bring it to us, please. You know? One of the things I love about Amazon is you get to look at the product, and then under the product, you get these product reviews from real people who've bought this thing, right? And so you read these things, and if you see a product that over and over again says, do not buy this thing, it does not work, it's hard, you don't buy it. Well, that's exactly what Paul says here in the middle of this passage. He basically says, look, I bought the Judaism thing. I installed it according to the directions. I turned it on and used exactly like they said to do, and it didn't work. Don't buy this product. Don't do it. Look with me, everyone, if you will, at, at kids' version, verses 4 through 7. I think this is a really good way to put this. Um, it'll be on the screen for us. Yeah, here's what Paul says. If anyone wanted to brag about being churchy, it's me. I was baptized as a baby. My dad was an elder. I was in public worship every Sunday from birth, memorized the catechism, always dressed up and made fun of those who didn't. I was captain church. But... None of that got me into God's family. Only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection made me right with God. So you cannot trust your works. You cannot trust your habits. You cannot trust your morals to be right with God. Paul tried it, and it did not work. He wants us to understand that, so he says this great example. And then he talks in terms of money, the universal language. He looks at the balance sheet of his life and says, I thought I was doing credit after credit after credit after credit in my old life. And then I came to know Christ, and I see actually all those things were debits, and I had to repent of them. 
I counted them as a loss instead of a gain. I was bankrupt without Christ. I had nothing without Christ. And thank God I have Christ. And so now I brag on Christ, not what Paul has done. He looks at this and says, Christ is so great. This gap between me and God was so huge. I could not jump it, but Jesus Christ did it. And so I brag on Christ. See, once we understand what Christ has done, we cannot trust in anything to get us to God. That is the gospel. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to that cross I cling. So here's my challenge to you. Having been kind of redundant in this sermon, I apologize, it's kind of a redundant passage. Can you honestly say, verse 7, can you honestly look at your heart and say, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ? Is there an overwhelming joy in your life? So much so that the thought of complaining is so far removed because Christ has been so good. Like Paul wallowing in prison, can you be honest and yet joyful? It's not been easy, but God has given me joy. There's a man in this church who's had a very difficult year. I was visiting with him recently, and he told me, He said, God has been so good to me. It hasn't been easy. But when I think of Christ, I have joy. And when you see him, several of you have commented about this man to me. It's obvious he has joy. And it's so supernatural. That is thriving in the Lord. That is rejoicing in the Lord. That is bragging on Christ. That is putting no confidence in the flesh, in the real life of junk and trial. That's Christianity. Is that in you, dear flock? Take your eyes off what you do. Put no confidence in your personal work before God. Do not trust in your activity. Instead, daily place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Brag about Him. Use His means of grace. Use this table today. You will find joy. You will find assurance. You will find peace. I've been talking primarily to the Christians this whole time. I want to talk to you non-Christians if you're here today. You're visiting or maybe you're still investigating and you don't know. I hope you've heard there's nothing you do to earn your salvation before a three times holy God. Perhaps you've run into false teachers who've told you otherwise that you have to do this or be this or act this way. Perhaps you've run into other Christians who've told you that. Perhaps it's been loud men wearing a robe from a pulpit who've told you that. I am so sorry. It doesn't matter who it was. If they have pointed you away from Christ alone, they are evil dogs who have mutilated the gospel. All you can offer to God as a sinner is your loss. You have nothing to give him. But you can confess your poverty. You can confess your helplessness before him. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he will take Jesus Christ's worth. He will give it to you. He will grab you. And he will set you right in God's lap. And say, call me father. That's what you can have. Even now, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Repent of your sin and believe in the gospel and have joy. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that everyone here would be able to say truly, 
nothing in our hands we bring, simply to your cross we cling, because we have nothing but Christ. Lord, I pray for the Christians here. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us yet again for the fact that we do look to our morality, we look to our beliefs, we look to how we dress, how we think, what we do, how we vote. We look to all sorts of things and add them to Christ. And we do it subconsciously. We don't even know it. And then we judge others who don't do that. Lord, would you forgive us for forgetting the gospel yet again? By your Spirit, would you help us to rejoice in you, to brag on Christ and put no confidence in the flesh? Would you do that, Lord, by your grace yet again? Specifically today, through the word preached, through communion consumed, would you change us and give us your grace? Lord, I pray for those who do not know Christ. I pray, Father, that you would show the light of your gospel in their hearts and that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and shown to be crucified, that he would be true to his promise that as he is lifted up, you will draw all people to him. Do your work of salvation. Draw people to Christ even now. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.